Welcome to episode four of the Freeze Peach podcast. It is me, Niall, and I'm joined with the dark mistress herself, Christina. How are you today, Christina? I am doing... I am fine, thank you. How are you? In all honesty, I've developed a, a deep hatred of technology. If you ever start a podcast, people, don't underestimate the ability of all these machines to break and then mock you by breaking again. Indeed. And it is with that that we are here, sweating amid things we can't do anything about because technology and people are terrible. And we're going to offend some of those terrible people today because we're going to crap on one of their most... uh, treasured little uh, ideas, that being democracy. Oh yes, that sacred car is about to be slain. Christina, have you voted before? I have. What was your first time voting? What was it like? What was it like? Yeah, when was it? What did you do? I voted. Yeah, but when did you do it? When when I turned uh, 18 and got the right to vote. I have never voted, actually. I remember this really strange story when I got the right to vote, where it happened in school and they didn't tell us what was happening. They just like called us out of class and they took us to the old buildings in the school I used to be, which was the boarders quarters where the boarding school kids would have gone in years gone by. And we like went into the basement and it was like this really dingy place and they started handing out these, what was later to be shown to be electoral cards. And it was like, for some reason now that the word voting is forever merged into my brain as going into the abyss. <laughs> but funny enough, I've never actually voted because by the time I was old enough to realize that was the time I was old enough to vote, I also realized I hated politics and there was nobody out there I wanted to vote it for, especially in Northern Ireland. So I felt very uh, estranged from democracy right from the off. Did you, uh, have you voted numerous times? Do you still vote or? I vote every year, but every year I'm asking myself whether I should not, because like you, it's just like, it's, I think it's a tough balance to keep because on one hand, I I don't agree with any idea that's currently out there. Uh, But on the other hand, me not voting would give... uh, like I, I would rather vote to take one vote away from the ones that I really don't like. But that is a tough balance because you know, am I am I keeping up the system that I don't like by voting, or am I actually doing a little bit good by at least choosing the lesser evil, even if that's a philosophy that I hate? I, I have a hard time figuring out the best course of action. But yeah, I vote every year. There's an interesting moral background for me when I do it because. We had this like long time of conflict here in which um, the Catholic, the Irish Catholics try to get their civil rights and, you know, gain equal political status with the Unionist Protestants. 
So there's like a big uh, idea that you should vote because your ancestors fought and died for you to vote. Mm. And like that is sort of used to uh, guilt you into voting, a sort of force you to be invested in the electoral system. And it's weird where there's like, especially in the younger generation, there's like this... uh, strange balance between uh we know it's a cynical thing we know there's no parties to vote for none of them represent us and we don't like any of them but there's also this sense that one should vote to somehow i don't know honor the suffering that got us the vote right well for us here in sweden it's a bit different because uh, almost at the same time that i got the right to vote the Sweden Democrats entered the Swedish Parliament, uh, which are a incredibly racist uh, party, um, very backwards, very you know, very crappy party, um, and a part of, as, as I said, a part of the reason for voting was basically to not give power to them that I vote for someone else they get, you know. Um, you want to lock the gates against the particular villains. Yeah, yeah. So maybe without them, I wouldn't vote. But on the other hand, I hate the moderate party almost as much as I hate them. So it is what it is. What can I say? That, I think, captures the modern enigma of democracy. But that we're getting ahead of ourselves. We may be individuals casting our ballots or refusing not to. But what are we actually doing? What are we really participating in? Democracy is sort of like the equivalent of going shopping, but for politics, it is just the normal thing that is done. So, as per usual, straight from the gut, Christina, to you, what the heck is democracy? I mean, it's defined as people power, right? It is indeed. It's also stupid power. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Uh, no, but I see democracy as a as a very sneaky and insidious way to uh, keep control over people without them realizing it. It's a way to give people a false sense of power while actually keeping the old institutions well and alive. Mm-hmm. Your gut feeling was uh, incredibly accurate because literally, the Greek word "demokratia" meant rule by the people or people's rule or something like that. It was officially meant to be that the sovereign of the nation was not a king or a lord or what have you. It was the people. The government operated via permission from the people. And it showed up in Athens. Do you know who invented it, by the way? Ooh, I should know this, but I've forgotten that little... I actually asked that because it surprised me how little people know it. It's like, you'd think that was a name we'd all recall. And especially for you and I who are very well educated in this sort of thing, you'd think that that name should come really quickly. But nope, I was surprised when I read it. It was some good dude called Cleisthenes. I was like, that didn't ring a bell. Mm, I'm sure I have studied this, but uh, it was a long time ago. Yeah, well, democracy shoot up in Athens via this fella, Cleisthenes, whom I'm probably butchering his name. And either 507, 508 BC, it's really hard to know back then, sometime about then. And it was about people choosing who would govern them. And this Cleisthenes fella thought this was a good idea. Do you... What sort of person do you think it would take to come up with the idea of democracy? What must have this guy been thinking? Because he was the first guy. 
Um, it's hard to say without knowing the context in which he came up with it. Now think about it. You're in like this world that sees everything come from the gods, right? And you are ruled by archons, which were like the princes of Athens and some other little city-states are ruled by kings and other varieties of, uh, of power. And the idea that all of a sudden power should be from the ruled permission granted by the ruled to the rulers to rule. I've always just wondered, and I don't have an answer. I've just appreciated the question of what sort of thought must have come in to flick that switch from power coming down from on high to power going up towards the high. Mm. I don't know. I don't know the answer. I don't think anybody does, but it's just fascinating to think about. It's just the, the change in history, the bells of history had just been ringing at that point. And, you know, that idea, although it mightn't have taken off around the world for many thousands of years, that seed of the idea was historic in the truest sense of the word. Mm. Of course, mm-hmm. when you're blibbering on about rule by the people, Christina, what the hell are people? People. <laughs> what are people? Uh, human beings who wrong. are part of society? Nope. Nope. No. Wrong. Okay. <laughs> That's the obvious answer or what people should be. Any humans who are alive. Well, no. And for most of history and in most democracies, that has not been the case. I mean, people who are part of society. I get, I get, I know what you're getting at. Like slaves and women didn't have voting rights. Uh, exactly. Yeah, of course. What Um, counts as people has evolved over time with them being defined as, you know, landowners, white men, just man, men, other, mm. whatever part of society was considered, I don't know, higher class or whatever. Yeah, penis people. Usually, indeed, yes. Um, People like ethnic minorities, slaves and women usually... We're not people. So, uh, you know, get off your high horse, all you women and ethnic minorities thinking you're people. Come on. <laughs> yes. It's actually really scary to think about how recently women got voting rights. In Switzerland, it was only in the 70s. <sighs> I think they, there are worse examples, I'm sure of it. It's, it's scary. It really is. Absolutely. It's- Even Sweden, that's uh, known as a progressive country. Um got voting rights for women with it very late so indeed it is only in the incredibly recent past that universal suffrage has been achieved in any meaningful sense for most of history if you weren't a land owning dude well tough luck certain things are considered necessary for a democracy to exist can you give me a guess? What sort What sort of ingredients does a democracy need? Make me a democracy and put it in the oven. Education. Yeah, but think more in the, I'm talking more about rights. What sort of rights might you need if you were making me a democracy? Mm, I'm not sure where, where you're getting at. Uh, An example, I'll give you one example. Like freedom of assembly. You need the right to gather and show your collective opinion. Make sense? What else might we need? Uh, Look to the title of our podcast. (laughs) Free speech. 
Indeed, you need freedom of speech. You to effectively express an opinion. You need the right to have an opinion without being sent to jail. Yeah. That'd be kind of hard to know. I'm going to vote for this person because I believe X, Y, and Z. Oh, well, to jail with you. And so, indeed, we have freedom of assembly, freedom of speech. We have inclusiveness, which ironically is one of the most, like, ignored parts of democracy for most of history because they tried to be as exclusive as possible. Like, we, your dudes were the only ones voting. They were not including other people. Yeah. So it's probably a good thing to keep in mind that for most of history, democracies were hobbling along without some of the most basic parts of them. Another one is the related equality. And we're going to look very strongly in America's direction for this, where it literally for ages had a divided society between the black people and the white ruling majority. And even to this day, they're suppressing the votes. I mean, we talked about this briefly on the last podcast about how they restrict votes in, um, you know, black, largely black populated areas to prevent them from voting. Yeah. So you need equality. And to this day, America, like the standard bearer of democracy still, still does not have equality. Like, holy ship ahoy. It is lacking some of the most basic ingredients to a democracy considering they're like democracy daddy if you listen to their propaganda Mm. another one is membership having the like actually having the legal you know prerequisites to vote being a member of society Mm. having the right documentation and sort of things like that and you can sort of like use these to stop certain people voting like if you don't pay, have a passport or something, you mightn't get to vote. It's a good way to suppress a vote. Um, Another one is voting itself. You have to have a system of voting of some sort. Fairly uncontroversial. And lastly, you need right to life. You need to be alive. That's a good start, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we like to like to particularly start that way. Uh, we kind of, we're doing zombie voting and all the dead are just like applying their suffrage. Um. But yeah, so I'm assuming just by that little taster, you can probably off the top of your head realize that a lot of the big democracies are lacking a lot of basic stuff that we would consider vital to democracy. That cake has not been filled with all of its ingredients. It's half baked at best. Yes. Do you think uh, Sweden has a fair democracy? (laughs) I mean, uh, uh, Sweden suffers from the same pitfalls of democracy as many other countries. Um... A fair democracy, I think that question is more complicated than one would give it credit for. One thing that always struck me a bit weird, um, for example, my partner's brother is, um, is, uh, um, he has a learning disability, a pretty severe one, like he's uh, intellectually disabled, Mm -hmm. uh, and he has the right to vote. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's over 18 and he has the right to vote. Mm-hmm. And I might find that very strange because there is no way that he would ever understand what he's doing. And it would be very, very easy for his mother if his mother was, you know, a bit morally bad <laughs> to tell him to vote for a specific party. You know, it's so easy to abuse such a thing. Mm-hmm. In that case... I would say that it's better to not give him the right to vote because there is no way that he would actually understand what he would vote for 
And if he would vote, he would be manipulated in one way or another. Absolutely. And that is very strange to me, that people, that it's, you know, a thing. As much as that is a flaw in the system, it certainly doesn't seem to be as much of an obvious or vital flaw as, say, like the American democracy, where they're literally ex- trying to exclude their black population. Oh, no, no, uh, not, not by a long shot, absolutely. Um, but you were asking about Sweden, and that's what I came to think about. It's just, it's just um, interesting where we're going to criticise democracy, and we're meritocrats, we're not promoting democracy, but it has, you have to say that some democracies are better than others. Well, yeah, I mean... We don't exclude voting rights for poor neighborhoods here. Not as far as I'm aware. I've never heard of it. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting to point out that uh, our friend here is uh, from a more fair type of democracy as the Nordic countries usually are in a lot of things. They are on the better end of a terrible spectrum. Oh, they are. Really? Uh, Like, don't get, don't get it twisted. It's still a terrible system. It's just Mm. the least terrible version of that terrible system. Indeed, as I always said, Sweden is probably one of the better countries in the world to live in, and that scares me. That really scares me. Um, Some democracies like Russia are like proper jokes, and it's like, you know, it's a fake democracy effectively, but one, we must continue within the back of our mind, we think that to some degree every democracy is fake. It's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a facade, and we'll get into that in detail later on. Now, when it comes down to it, we may feel warm and fuzzy about democracy. It's something we all participate in. We can be active in our politics, or so we tell ourselves. But when it comes down to the crunch, democracies are about majority rule. They are about the majority overruling the minority. So in some sense, you can participate in voting, but that does not mean that your will be done. And if you look at the world, uh, how many people in democracy are dissatisfied with the way things are going, that they're not seeing their will done, but on the same time, they're participating in democracy. Do you think, Christina, that uh, where you are, is there a sense that people have a an investment in participation in the democratic process, but a dissatisfaction with actually the realities of whether or not what they want become reality. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's especially bad now since um, after the latest uh, voting about uh, vote for a new ruling party every four years, um, and we are several parties in parliament, but it's really a two-party system in disguise because uh, maybe it's a three-party system in disguise nowadays because the Sweden Democrats might get enough power to be the ruling party, which is terrifying. You said a few interesting things. I'm like ra- trying to write them down because I want to respond to them and not get confused. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, anyway, the, the thing that happened recently was that um, the Social Democrats won, uh, but the the right-wing parties in Parliament voted, no, we will not allow uh, Stefan Löfven, our um, our Swedish equivalent of president, he's not a president, uh, he's called Statsminister, I'm not sure how you would... Um, prime Minister? Um, I guess he's a Prime Minister, 
We'll go with that. We'll just just call him as Tyler. Yeah, we'll just go with with it. Um, They were like, no, uh, we will not. We are not okay with him being ruling charge of power. Um, So what they what happened was basically that we were without a proper government for about four months until they sorted this out uh, in the parliament internally. And now we have this sort of hodgepodge where the center parties are sort of in some kind of weird. Coalition. Weird, like we, yeah, a weird coalition, and not not a friendly coalition by any means. A with begrudging the coalition. Yeah, it, it, this has led to, to to the thing that the people who voted for the social democrats didn't get didn't get what they wanted. The majority didn't win because we have the the center parties very much in charge. It's uh, they 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 have a shared power, which I found so strange that this was allowed to happen. And of course, what's happened it's is that uh, well, the the country has gone to like you. Our response to the to the pandemic has been awful, and people like to blame our prime minister, like personally, which is find so weird because one, he's just the face, you know, outward, and two, his party have got the power stripped. <laughs> so of course it's gone to hell. And I'm not saying I'm not even a fan of the social democrats. I'm not. I have so many issues with them, but. Oh, I'm so annoyed at the state of Swedish politics at the moment. It's just a, it's a catastrophe, and basically nobody got what they wanted. So, democracy, yeah, yeah. Good yeah, job with that you one. said a few things that have some really pertinent sort of, you know, things to say about almost all democracies that they tend to end up being two party systems. And yeah, yeah. They're always, t- but the. One must, one must state that the two parties are in charge may not always be the same. A party can replace one of the major parties as part of the duopoly. But largely, there will always be a duopoly. Oh yeah, I mean, it's always been either the Social Democrats or the Moderates for an incredibly long time. But now the Sweden Democrats are actually posing a real threat to it. They are... A f- the, the third largest party in the parliament as far as I'm aware they still are so <laughs> that's an issue and that's a real issue in many ways because they have because the parliament does internal votes and they have a lot of voting power in that regard um, there's a specific word for it in Swedish I don't know how to tell it in English anyway just what you have to take away from it is that it's a mess right it's a mess it really is we have had in the UK have had continuous issues with these uh you know, major parties and forming coalitions over numerous periods. Um, for example, David Cameron famously had his conservative parties form a coalition with the Liberal Democrats, which is like party number three that's always leagues behind the second party. So it's like the third wheel of the duopoly. It's like sometimes let in for specific purposes. Um, more recently, there was the Northern Irish DUP got into a sort of coalition with the Conservative Party to help push the Brexit deal over the line in Parliament. Then they famously got dropped by Boris Johnson, who interestingly put an end to our need for coalitions and things like that when he won a Conservative supermajority. And now it's like the the UK is nearly a one-party state now. The, The Conservative Party has such a massive majority it's unbelievable like the liberal democrats and the green party are nearly exterminated it's 
it's brutal how badly they lost and how much of a grip the Conservatives now have. All right, let's put a little bit of a more scientific definition to democracy before we move on. We're going to consult the political scientist Larry Diamond, and he said that a, any real democracy worth its salt must have four features. One, a system to run free and fair elections. And from my point of view, that's from the UK anyway, that's like an electoral commission. And the Electoral Commission establishes rules for voting and it like charges people with voting fraud and things like that. It regulates the voting system and maintains it. Mm -hmm. Is there a similar thing with you, I'm sure? Yeah, I think so. Secondly, it needs active participating citizens. Active participating citizens. And... I think that's a feature that has very much declined in recent years. Very, a whole lot of people in most countries don't vote and they don't participate. So, you know, like there's a whole voting block in America that everybody ignores the non-voters. And, you know, you need an active citizenry in order for a democracy to have meaning. Do you agree? Absolutely. Do you think that uh, participation is good or bad in Sweden? I mean, anyone can join any party they want, any time. Now it's a grind to get actual power in the party. I'm, no, I'm specifically talking, do the, does the average person vote? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, do you, so you're saying that you think in Sweden, participation in voting is generally high? I think so. Not, I mean, not as high as many would want, but definitely higher than in many other countries. I don't know the answer, but uh, in the UK and America, it is profoundly low. Turnout okay, is Okay, I don't low. know the answer either, to be honest. I'm, I'm pretty much just guessing out of my <laughs> I think so. I think that's the case. That's fine. Now, the third ingredient of Larry Diamond said is human rights of all citizens, which makes sense. You should have a citizenry that's looked after in basic ways. It shouldn't be like you know starving to death or it shouldn't be being terrorized it should have its human rights intact right that's a good start yeah you generally need to have functioning non-oppressed people in order to have a meaningful vote in a meaningful politics Uh, immediately Uh, a lot of uh, countries fall out of the loop there it is quite disturbing like there's a part in the back of my mind going everything we're talking about it's like so many countries that have democracies that don't have these or like have very bad, crappy versions of them. Indeed. Uh, the Shand final don't. one we need is a rule of law. There needs to be some system in place that the decisions of the people or the politicians who represent the people actually have meaning. So they need to be added to a codified book of laws with systems to enforce those laws so you've got the courts and all all that sort of stuff that's there to prop up the will of the people all that sound logical to you yeah do you think that uh the democracy does uh, sweden have a a good strong rule of law is the is the law powerful in sweden is justice done in sweden i'd say it has its issues that's probably a fair assessment. Um, for example, in most countries in the in the Western world, acts the law is usually more stringently enforced with uh, poor people than it is the rich people or ethnic minorities when it is with the ruling minor the ruling majority. So uh, it's not uh, 
it's it's rarely perfect that the will of the people is represented in the system, the legal system that is there to maintain the will of the people. Mm-hmm. So it's profoundly uh, problematic to say the least. For the moment, we are going to take a break and then we'll be right back. Stay in your seats. Thanks for listening to the Freeze Peach podcast. Check in every Saturday for a brand new episode. If you like the podcast, please leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really helps us in the rankings. If you're on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel. Click the bell icon to receive full notifications when new episodes are released and, of course, like the video. Please consider sponsoring us on Patreon. Due to not being based in the USA, our channel is unfortunately not eligible for advertising revenue on the Anchor Network. A small monthly donation will help us cover our costs. Just visit patreon.com slash the free speech podcast. Your contribution is greatly appreciated. And remember to catch us on social media. We're on Twitter at The Two Peaches. On Facebook at facebook.com slash the frozen peaches. And on Instagram at instagram.com slash the freeze peach podcast. And back to the show. Welcome back to the Free Speech Podcast. It's me, Niall, and the lady herself, Christina, and we are putting democracy to the test. And already we have uh, pouring so much salt in it that it's like a shriveled up snail, but we're not finished yet. Surprise, everyone! There's more than one type of democracy! Christina, what type of democracy does Sweden live under? Think back to episode one, it'll give you a clue. I'm not sure what you're after. So... Episode one, we talked about monarchy, right? Yeah. And we talked about a constitutional monarchy, which the monarch can delegate its power to a parliament, which can be run by a democracy. Yeah. That's called a constitutional monarchy. Sweden is a constitutional monarchy. So is Britain. So is Denmark, etc. They are types of democracies. And I want to keep that in mind because we're going to compare them to Athenian democracy. Now, I'm going to tell you about, right. you were going to say something? Uh, I'm not. I, I'm not sure that uh, that the Swedish monarchy has as much power as the British monarchy. Yeah, but it's um, it's still a constitutional democracy. A little constitutional monarchy. That's what it is. It, if you it, say so, you know. So yeah, you're. Yeah. All right. <laughs> then it is that. So we're going to look at Athenian democracy, and we're going to compare it to constitutional monarchy, right? Mm. So Athenian democracy had. A random selection of citizens, like it had a lottery, and this is a bit bizarre, where you came out of a hat effectively, and that randomly selected person was chosen to fill a role in a government. Which is pretty crazy. It's like, imagine getting a letter, it's like, uh, you've been randomly selected to be a civil servant. Report to your office tomorrow. <laughs> the funny thing is, I, I'm so like desperate for a good paying government job, I would take that summons. <laughs> But, you know, you were expected in Athenian democracy to be super active in your government. You were called to serve, literally. In addition to this sort of mandatory service for people, you had an assembly of all citizens that made the laws. That was like the legislature, the Iglesia, which ironically is a church, you know, like ecclesiastical. They had a church of people that made the laws. And all citizens whom they considered citizens, you know, like landowning meals, had to take part in it. There was no choice. You were required to be a part of it. What do you think of that? 
Yeah. Mm. Do, do you think people should be required to take a, you know, literally be required to be active in their state? Uh, I actually think so. Yes. It would be interesting to find out how, how such a thing would make sense in the modern world. I mean, it was just a city state of Athens then. It was, you know, calling you in from the fields effectively. Um, in these ecclesias, these assemblies, all citizens, <coughs> men, were allowed to speak and they were allowed to vote. Of course, you could not vote if you were a slave, a woman, a foreigner, or if you were under 20. It's a bit weird where it's like their, their like voting age is much higher than like our current voting ages. Like it's 18 in most countries where like Athenians weren't, weren't having that. 18s weren't mature enough. <laughs> what, what age do you think you should be allowed to vote? I think 18 is pretty... I don't have an issue with that age. There's some people in America are campaigning to have their voting age down to like 16 or even lower. 16, I could, I could get behind 16. I don't know how much different 16 and 18 gets. Honestly, you are educated by the age of 18. Um, you are not fully educated by 16 yet in most cases. So, I mean, it makes sense to me. I don't see an issue to... I don't find a reason to argue against that. When you're trying to win elections, though, one has to remember the more young people you let in, the more they'll vote for the left-wing party. So if you're on the left, you want as many kids at the boxes as you possibly can. Oh, that's true for sure. I mean, um, yeah, this is a balancing question because on one hand, I truly believe that the bulk of the power should be in young people because... They are the future. I mean, come on. Do we really want old dudes deciding our future? I know that I don't. Uh, on the other hand, I do think that education is a vital part of uh, for democracy's work. So um, at what age are you educated enough to have a, for a fair grasp on politics is probably the question. And that would be, well, that would be <laughs> differ based on the education system of the country. So... 16, I would uh, get behind, yeah. Younger mm-hmm. than that, I don't know. <sighs> yeah, that's fair enough. Um, the interesting thing about Athenian democracy is we, we sort of badmouth them being like they only let like a really small number of people be voting citizens, um, usually men. But they had like this idea that citizenship was all about being able to fight in a war. <laughs> like, this is like really different than where we think, where it's like, that men with the right, able, who were able to bear arms and go stab other men is kind of like how they saw the core meaning of citizenship. So like, you could be a hardworking slave or a housewife or something. They just didn't see that as part of citizenry. It was all about the ability to fight in war. So it's like, when you're bad-mouthing the Athenians, they had a cultural difference there. They were all about the stabbing. <laughs> yeah. Times have changed, that's for sure. No, we kind of have these, like, all our democracies are descended from a city, Athenian democracy. It's the granddaddy. And constitutional monarchies, like Britain and Sweden and many others, is kind of the same as any other democracy. Except for one thing, it exists at the pleasure of the monarch. So the monarch could do nothing. It could be really hands-off. It could be as hands-off as you can possibly imagine. 
But at the end of the day, that democracy only exists at their pleasure. And still, I find that still unacceptable. Because at the end of the day, the will of the people is only permitted by the will of the monarch. What do you think? That's pretty crazy. No, not pretty crazy. That's just straight down crazy. I must mention, just for all the to- happened to be passing the topic, um, a couple of days before this uh, podcast was recorded, and it'll be probably about a week before you actually hear it, Prince Philip died. And the media went into an orgy of sycophantic licking that shall be remembered in infamy forevermore. <laughs> I'm sure you even heard about it. I heard that he died. <laughs> my, 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 my boyfriend was, was like, hey, did you hear that Prince Philip died? I was like, hmm, okay. He is effectively Britain's golem. Yeah, I mean, like, it doesn't surprise anyone. He was old enough. Who cares? I really, I really don't give one ounce, little microscopic damn about it. <laughs> just, yeah. Now that that's mentioned, just for the record that we show our disgust of that particular cultural event, we shall move on to the next type of democracy, which is a republic. A republic is a democracy with an elected head of state who sits a given term, like a president. America is often fond of saying these days, it's not a democracy, it's a republic. And you'll often hear that from right-wingers who get criticised for repressing the vote. And republics have some interesting con- interesting bits involved. They often have a constitution which take things off the table, like the American constitution. In a constitutional monarch, monarchy, as suggested by the name, the monarch is the constitution. But in republics, the constitution is a piece of paper with stuff on it. And we know how seriously Americans take their constitution. Oh, 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 oh. yes, they do. So the heart of it is that in a republican democracy, they think there are things that are off the table for people to vote on. There are things you can't vote on. They're separate. They're sacred almost. What do you think of that? Uh, nothing should be cut in stone. The world is always evolving and politics have uh, they have politics must be able to evolve with the world. I agree, but I'll hit back with something. Do you think it should be available? Do you think the population, the voting population should be able to vote? To, for example, strip black people of their citizenship? No, 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 no. Absolutely not. Uh, I mean... So would that not be off the table? We have human rights. And we have them for a reason. But the constitution is what establishes those rights. So, for example, they have the rights, uh, for example, to... Uh, what was it? The life and the pursuit of happiness or something they they say in theirs and they've things like but they've also got the right to bear arms right but we have universal human rights and we have the Only american recently. constitution i know um and what i'm getting at is very good that we have universal human rights and uh, even if the uh, I, I say the american people uh, voted against the constitution just as long as we uphold universal universal human rights, like a universal constitution that's really grounded in, you know, reality and really like, mm-hmm. 
you know, the obvious basic human rights, a, a universal constitution that no country should have a right to go against. Now what the country does with their own private little constitution, flag burning, bare arms, all that jazz. I don't get it. Um, flag burning <laughs> is allowed by the constitution. In fact, it was upheld by the constitutional court that it was a type of free speech. Um, <laughs> the, uh, which really? Is then, yeah, it's, well, it's a freedom of expression. It's in the constitution. Oh, right. Wait, yeah. Yeah, I knew this actually, but the Americans are so, so hilariously offended by that. What I'll say about constitutions is... Well, for the moment, here's how it works. You can edit them, but you have to have a super majority, a super vote to make an amendment. That's why there's only been like 18 of them or something. Like it's hard to change those documents. I think, however, there should be a 25 year intervals when they must be revised. Yeah, I was going to say that as well. There they should be intervals in years where they have to be updated. I, I was just going to say that. So you read my mind this time. We're going it's, to, we are going to only, have a, It's only rational. I mean, come on. We're going to have a, a whole episode one of these days on that subject. Um, for now, let's move on. The American founding fathers thought that a Republican democracy with an elected head of state, so you had an executive branch and a judicial branch and a parliament, was better than direct democracy, which is everyone direct, every single person directly voting on issues. They thought that would be chaotic, and they thought a Republican structure was less likely to fracture into factions and bitter divisions. Yeah, uh, because that hasn't happened. Well, it turns out that they were greatly mistaken, were they not? <laughs> <laughs> and you, have, you know, countries like Switzerland have a very nearly direct democracy, and uh, there's actually a, a political movement in America now to be more direct of a democracy. And there's various ideas about that, you know, going around. Yeah, look, if if, if we are going to have a, a pure democracy, then have a pure democracy. I know that there are a lot of people around that say that democracy has no meaning at all unless each and every person out there has a right to vote. And they mean in, they they are saying this in the extreme, uh, which I, I, I get the thought behind that. But we as meritocrats have our own objections to that thought. But... We've come to that. It's interesting because whenever the founding fathers of America, it was a different world. It was a primitive world. It was seven, you know, late 1700s. It wasn't the present day by any sense. Having everyone have a vote on something would have been impossible. Just simply impossible by the, the economic and technological conditions of the time. Yeah. Nowadays with the internet and things like that, doesn't sound so crazy all of a sudden, does it? <laughs> no, no, no. And you have to remember the uh, the founders of America were often disagreed with one another. For example, we very much appreciate Thomas Jefferson, and he was in many ways a meritocrat at heart, and he very much disagreed with a lot of them. So these weren't a unified sort of group of people that agreed on everything. And they kind of, when they created these founding documents, it was a compromise with each other and a compromise for what was available and what was possible in the time. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's why we need to re you know, revise these constitutions that they wrote and we need to reconsider things. So, for example, even though the American founding fathers might not have liked direct democracy, you have to remember that if they were alive in the present day, 
they could easily have sang a very different tune because they weren't idiots and they would have been able to look at the conditions that exist at the present time and they might have said differently. Didn't Thomas Jefferson have slaves? He did. He was a very fascinating person and a a very complicated person. I'm sure we will one day have an episode on him all on its own. Yeah, I just want to to touch upon this before anyone, uh, you know, say something stupid in the comments. Um, <laughs> we have to be able to look at history and say that oh, this 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 dude had really good ideas, but also this part of his ideas were crap. And uh, yeah, he really most people can't do that. Most people are like, yeah, he had slaves. Everything he said was bull. Uh, well, no, I mean, I I love Hegel. He's my favorite philosopher of all time, hands down. And he had some really misogynistic, stupid crap ideas. If he, if he was alive today, I would be like, dude, what the heck were you thinking? Are you serious? Are you serious? But I'm still able to appreciate the parts of his philosophy that I find valuing. Yeah, there, there needs to be a, a maturity and an intellectual honesty when picking apart ideas and yeah, having and most a nuanced people, approach to them. Most people seem incapable of it and it really grinds my gears. Yeah, well, most people want to put people in camps or like, oh, he was a bad person. Bad. And I'm not a bad person. I don't like bad people. Ugh. And you, you can't do that, especially in history. Uh, majority of history is a big dung heap and uh, different ideas were politically correct at the time. And uh, I mean, it's a duty, duty as humans to look back and say, yeah, that was stupid of them, but also not ignore the good parts. I mean... <laughs> So we'll all put a, a collective pin in that because you can't rest assured we will have future episodes all about those things. For now, yeah. let's move on to other types of democracy. For example, socialist democracy. Now, socialist democracy is broken up into several types. The first one is the most familiar to us, social democracy, of which Sweden is famously said to be one of them. Mm-hmm. Do you agree? Uh- I mean, it's all, it's halfway there. It's not as far as I'm aware. A social democracy, of course, is considered like a a democracy which is allows certain things to be off the table for the people, like a right to you know food and water and security and things like that. It has socialist elements yeah. in the system by default. You can't like. The wealthy can't just vote to take away your benefits. You know what I mean? Uh, no, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, no, <laughs> that that wouldn't happen in Sweden. Also, my neighbor is deciding to. I really don't know what he's doing, but excuse me for that. My neighbor is being very naughty today. Oh, ah, yeah, that's the noise in the background. If we can all take uh, 30 seconds of hate to pour our collective malice on this individual, whoever he is, and perhaps our evil thought shall teach him a lesson. Yeah, I mean, he. Can't oh, die. We'll, we'll move on. It's all right. so much. Anyway, yeah. Our second type is <laughs> democratic socialism. Democratic socialism is often said to be the the value system of Bernie Sanders, even though he actually is a social democrat, not a democratic socialist. Right, I think this is why your question confused me, because I always mix those two up. They are easy to mix up. In fact, in some ways they are kind of like social democracy is kind of like something that could almost lead up to a democratic socialist system. It's like a precursor or a, a smaller version of it. 
Um, democratic socialism is all about the democratic control of the means of production. So both social democracy and democratic socialism focus to some degree on, you know, people control of the workplace. Full-on democratic socialism is when the dictatorship of the people, if you will, you know, the voting public really do control the economy in a democratic It's very, very strange to say something like the dictatorship of the people, but yeah. No, that's more communist, but uh, uh, we'll get to that in a moment, actually. Uh, but no, it's kind of like democratically controlled workplaces, like there wouldn't be a boss up there who makes dictator-like positions. You, The workers would vote on the decisions and the business decisions of the company. So that, you know, the dictator, the CEO wouldn't just be like, I'm doing this and you're going to follow along or you know, I'll fire you. So that's basically what it is. Um, the Marxist ones, sometimes Marxists prefer a direct democracy, but in small communes in small areas. Um, mm -hmm. This gets into kind of very theoretical thing because none of this stuff has ever actually been implemented. We're very much in sort of the, the, the region where everyone's going to fight each other about it. Everyone will argue about what the real type way of managing communism is and... There is no agreement on it, but in some Marxists, like direct democracies in small communes is all mm. I'm going to say about that. Just leave that as a titbit. If you're interested in such a things, I advise you go and read about it. Now, we got to get on here to our last section, arguments for democracy. I'm going to read them out and I'm going to tell you, do you agree or disagree? Okay. Mm -hmm. Legitimacy. The people consent to the government they elect. Do you think this is true of democracies? Mm, like in practice. Yeah, in reality. No. Why not? <laughs> People elect a government and then they spend all their time complaining about it, so. Yes, I would argue that legitimacy, the people vote for who is available to be voted on, not necessarily who they really want. Well, they, vo yeah, they vote whatever course. party is there. Because yeah, they, yeah. you can't vote your will if no one's representing it. Yeah, yeah, and that's that. That's a huge issue with democracy today in the modern world. Indeed, we have to choose between the lesser of evils. Second argument for democracy: good decision making. Increasing the number of decision makers increases the likelihood of coming to the right answer. Um, I'd say that that uh, idea has more. <sighs> I was waiting for you. To, I was waiting for you to just say that's nonsense. Uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't happen in practice, right? I mean, people, some people have more power than others. and But you also have to look at, look at the people they vote in, Donald Trump, etc. Did, did the majority who voted for him, did they come to the best decision? Yeah, I, that, that that's what I, have to, I want to say, like... Uh, <sighs> sorry, uh, I, I, I have trouble gathering my thoughts today. Um... Yeah, uh, if we, uh, <clears throat> mm -hmm. yeah, there is a clear issue why giving voting rights to really uneducated and dumb people is well an issue. Just look at Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's any real relation between increasing the amount of decision makers because they're not really decision makers. They just they vote for a representative who will make the decision on their behalf. Yeah, what I want to say is that we, if we increase the amount of decision makers, we also have to increase the amount of educated people. Those two have to go hand in hand. Otherwise, we have an issue. I agree. So I'm not very fond of that one. I don't think it's 
I don't think it's got any bearing on the reality of democracies. No, um, I mean, I, I, I support it if increasing the amount of, of decision makers also um, means that those decision makers are well educated. In that case, I support it. But in practice, that that's not what it is. So, Okay. Number three argument for democracy. Peace. Democratic governments don't tend to go to war with each other. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I did not say they don't tend to go to war. I said they don't tend to go to war with each other. Uh, I think that's largely true. Uh, yeah, largely true, but I'm... Um, but they don't go to war. I, I, I they, find they it a weird argument. War. It's it's a very, it's a kind of weak argument. The interesting thing is, you see, like, wh- whenever democracies have gone to war with advanced countries it's been whenever those advanced countries have gone for a more dictator-like thing like world war one and world war two that type of thing however democracies absolutely will still go to war iraq and afghanistan was it like near 20 years they've been going now yeah so uh technically right but i would not they may not go to war with each other but uh they have certainly not brought peace yeah, yeah, it's, that's, a, that's a weak argument if there ever was one. Final argument. There's more arguments, but I've just picked the one. So like, if I haven't said your favorite one, calm the hell down, all right? No, <laughs> it's economic success. People claim that democracies do not favor monopolies and thus allow creative freedom in the economy. I mean, that's, that's clearly not true. <laughs> uh, effect, you know what that sounds to me? That's like a dog whistle for effectively democracies are so weak. They let capitalism do whatever it wants. Yeah, I mean, if that was true, then great. Wow, I would be so happy, but that's just clearly not the case. I know, it's like, they don't, democracies don't favour monopolies. Amazon? Yeah. And the important thing is, it's like, democracies, like FDR, would have, like, cut up big companies. Now it's, like, political suicide to suggest that we break up big companies and we're supposed to live in a democracy, but we can't say that sort of thing. Yeah, it's not weird. Americans never cease to amaze me. Patriotic Americans are always like, we have democracy, but they are also like militant defenders of capitalism. And I really want to see what's going on inside their heads. Actually, I don't, because I'm sure that what I would find would disgust me deeply. But For more details on our opinions on the economy and democracy, please see our capitalism episode. I think that's episode two. No, yeah, there's a lot more things to be said about capitalism, but... And I'm sure we will continue to go back to it and you'll be slowly fed to the back teeth of it. Mm-hmm. Now, arguments against democracy. I've picked three of them. There are a thousand and one of these, so I've just picked three, all right? Number one, the irrational voter. Popularity leading to election, election results, not ability. They tend to lead towards populism. Yeah. So... F- yeah. This goes to a little uh, theme that you've been bringing up quite regularly, is that the voter must be educated, the voter must be well-informed. And Yeah, and another point that I want to raise, um, one of the most terrifying things about uh, learning philosophy was learning rational argumentation and realising that nobody in politics ever uses, you know, actual rational argumentation. It's all about rhetoric, it's all about being popular. And uh, that poses a real issue. If you don't see why that poses an issue, I, I really don't know what to say to you. Uh, that, this, that is 
it's a popularity contest. It's, it's, uh, I mean, it's. <clears throat> People are persuaded by style over substance. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's just absolutely with a 100%. Almost nobody looks at the rational argument because there are none to be found. It's all rhetoric. It's all, do I like this person personally? And that just really is totally irrelevant. But Just look at Donald Trump. The people who voted for him, they voted for someone who's literally not got a single functioning thought in his head. Yeah, and when asked what do they like about Donald Trump's ideas, they're like, oh, I don't know, I just, I just like him as a person. And that's... So I think we can agree <sighs> voters are irrational. Voters are really dumb, and if you don't see the issue with that, then you are really dumb. You are staggeringly dumb, and I hope, dearly hope, that I will never get to meet you in my life, ever. You see, this is why we call you the Dark Lady. (laughs) Now, number two, democracy as a facade. Elites, like capitalist elites, hide behind democracy to rule in the background. Yeah. That is undeniably true. You can't vote on the market. Again, see our video or see our episode on democracy. Yeah. The fact that people are so blind to this staggers the mind and makes me mad and disappointed and angry and have really violent ideations. I have to finish this segment with uh, my, a quote that I love because it's just so salty. Mob rule. The famous Socrates said, Democracy, which is a charming form of government, full of variety and disorder, and dispensing a sort of equality to equals and unequaled alike. Effectively, what Socrates was saying was that democracy dispenses of merit where literally, as it was another writer that says, your stupidity is worth as much as my expertise. Yeah. We all have one vote, after all, and it's worth the same. Yes. And the idea of meritocracy, of course, is that we wish to allow people to, to vote on what they understand and to vote in an optimally informed and expert manner so that votes have real meaning and people aren't subject to manipulation, to propaganda, to irrationality. And that sort of, that's, that quote basically summarizes why we are meritocrats and not Democrats. Right. And I want to say, I find it so weird because when, when I raise this argument, people seem to think that that opens the back door to um, restrict voting rights for certain groups of people, uh, which in this in that case, it isn't meritocracy. Uh, <laughs> there's nothing more to say about it. In a meritocracy, merit is in charge. Mm-hmm. Not, not, not gender, not skin color, not, you know, class anything preferable in a democratic or in a meritocratic world there are no class differences in that in that way that we have now um i'm going to throw an example where um if you have a you know if you're qualified in a certain area and you can vote on that area say you're say you studied economics and that's your job you can vote on economic policy but say you wanted to vote on something else that mattered to you like agriculture but you weren't trained in that you could offer citizen examinations in which you could become qualified 
to vote in that if you wanted, if you put in the hours of study. And of course, that study would be funded by the government. You should be given the opportunity to become qualified enough to vote in that area. Should that Absolutely. be what you every desire? Person, every person should be given the opportunity. If we don't have equal opportunity, then we simply don't have meritocracy, in which case your argument somehow touches upon that, then we agree that shouldn't be the case, that it's not meritocracy. Meritocracy is, is equal opportunity, end of story. There's not really more, not much, not much more to be said around, about that. And also, I mean, democracy as we have today opens the door to um, dictatorship. <laughs> we have seen that happen and uh, we are probably maybe seeing it happen today. Take Hungary, for example. Uh, clearly, that's not working along either. Uh, so You're referring to the... Uh, the country of Hungary, which is ruled by Viktor Orban, who's um, sort of restricting uh, the, like, for example, using the courts to override the wills of the people in some areas. Yeah, he's, he seems to slowly make himself into um, right. It's into good that you brought that second up. Hitler and uh, well, <laughs> so it's more like Joe Hitler. Uh, he's like little yeah. Hitler because he's 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 not a great man. Let's face it, he's not. He's not let's he's not expanding his personality and his influence anywhere outside Hungary. He's a bit of a, a fraud Hitler, a small Hitler. Yeah, and you know what? I'm not the worst part is that I'm not even surprised that Hungarians allowed this to happen. I'm not saying that each and every Hung- Hungarian is a fascist, clearly not, but uh, my experiences as uh, my family have the roots in Hungary. Okay, actually, well, I think we will talk about the rise of fascism another episode. Yeah, that's our rabbit hole we don't want to go down. Yeah, 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 sure. Okay, I'm not going to get into it. Anyway, that sucks. <laughs> Let's move on. We want to finish with uh, a few issues that have plagued very modern democracies. Just a few examples of some of the reasons why democracies are going extremely off the reels. Number one, gridlock. Using tricks like filibusters and parliamentarians and procedural tricks to override the will of the people. This is a continuous issue in America where they, there's a concept called a filibuster. You used to have to like stand up and talk until a timer runs out and then a vote never happens. Mm -hmm. That was called a talking filibuster. Yeah, I learned about this from Parks and Recreation. (laughs) (laughs) But they had it in America where eventually they didn't even need to talk anymore. They can just vote to filibuster. And effectively, it's made the Senate, where any bills have to pass through, impossible to pass legislation because the minority party, usually the Republicans, the the Democrats very rarely ever use it because they're soft, will just not allow anything to be voted on. So even when the Democrats are in power, nothing happens. And the Democrats, Joe Biden specifically at the time of recording, is very reluctant to get rid of the filibuster. Another example was the parliamentarian who's an unelected advisory role who advised against increasing the minimum wage to $15. And they could have just overruled them, but they didn't. Effectively, they're using features and tricks to trump the will of the people. Loopholes. So, you know, this idea of gridlock where the parties have just dug their heels in and they're using everything to grind government to a halt. It's not doing anything because procedural bits and bobs are used just to not do government. Yeah. So what have you voted for, son? It's clearly a problem. (laughs) Number two, election fraud. Messing with the elections. For example, as we mentioned in last week's, there was a vote um, for whether people were going to unionize in Bessemer in Alabama against, you know, against Amazon. 
And the vote came back negative. It was really sad. They're not going to unionize. It was a no vote. But Amazon tried to interfere and did loads of tricks to try and make the vote skew in their favor. Yeah, also cue the Trumpists invading. Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh Uh, But there is a point where people with power can use their power to skew the vote in their favor. Mm Mm-hmm. And election fraud is not like just switching ballots or anything overt. It's propaganda. It's misinforming people. It's all sorts of things that you're interfering in what democracy should be to create a different outcome. All of that is fraud. (laughs) Propaganda, misinforming people. sounds like every right-wing party on the earth. Yeah, exactly. In fact, it's, that's why election fraud truly is rampant because you're misinforming and confusing the electorate you're interfering in their them properly interfacing with democracy you were yeah i mean isn't it one of the biggest frauds uh, trickle down the economy yeah next one and it's ironic lying about the electoral system like donald trump making up election fraud campaigns to turn people off and make them lose faith in the system itself yep because Donald Trump has effectively made people turn against democracy. Because if he doesn't want, win, it's by automa- automatically, it's illegitimate. And so democracy has no power over people who don't opt into it. And if they've lost faith in it, they shall no longer opt in. And who knows what will happen after that. Yeah, and this is scary. Uh, some people, uh, if, if many people are way too ignorant about the the real danger of this because Donald Trump is luckily an incompetent moron but if he were incompetent or if somebody else comes along who looks at what Trump did takes inspiration and are actually competent it would make it far too easy for that person to make themselves into a dictator uh, clearly we see how idiots are behaving and <laughs> it's just it's actually scary Mm-hmm. It's vitally important that people in democracies believe their democracy is fair and proper and that winners are winners and losers are losers. If they stop to believe in that, they have no longer participating in the system and the system is illegitimate. Right. Last I'm just annoyed, one. But I'm just annoyed that so many people seem to think that because Donald Trump is no longer in power, his support will trickle out. Uh, but even if it does, these people will sooner or later find, find, find a new idiot to support and... Uh, That point is actually going to be brought up now. Polarization. When one party is in charge, the majority lives under a perceived tyranny. Nobody can imagine voting for the other party. Mm -hmm. And that's basically it. No Republican is going to vote Democrat. No Trumpist is not going to vote for a Trump. By definition, they could do anything. As Trump said, he could go out and shoot someone in Fifth Avenue and they'd all still love him. If you are totally polarized, You've made democracy irrelevant because democracy only makes sense when it's perceivable that the average person could literally say, well, I don't like what he's doing. I'm going to vote for the other guy. But if you're in a position where you will never, on principle, vote for the other side, what the, what's the point? Mm. Uh, I, I'm generally very against principles in that way. Well, we, it's not principles in the fact they have any steadfast beliefs. It's about, it's simply that they were born into that tradition. They're Republicans by culture. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Uh, I'm just saying principles, many, uh, far too many people take principle above rationality and those people are, well, 
stupid. Well, we, we, we look for rational principles when we, we vote for people that share our principles. Yeah, but the point course. is, for example, say if we had someone, say we had a meritocracy party, but they started behaving in a way which did not represent our views, but somebody else from another party started doing things that was meritocratic, even if they weren't part of the meritocracy party, we rational people would vote for them. Yeah, that's absolutely, that's what I'm saying. You're saying rational principles, but I would like to say no principles, only rationality, because rationality alone can help us (laughs) just straight down. True. I agree with you. So I'm sure we can all agree that even though democracy gives us the warm fuzzies, that we feel active and participation, we all think it's innately good in our hearts. It's not good at all. It's actually terrible. It's a, it's a front for capitalism. It's full of corruption, lies, and deceit. And you must be out of your gourd to think this is a good system. Like, seriously, get off that junk, son. Yeah, it can be made into a good system by meritocracy. Indeed. In fact, meritocracy is then what democracy wants to be. It, what's what it's meritocracy is the evolved version of democracy where votes are attached to to logic they're attached to expertise and therefore you can select leaders from your peers in a rational manner it is not a tyranny it is not a dictatorship everyone has the same opportunity to be eligible to rule yeah, actually, I think that we should talk about this in a in a coming episode. The fact that so many people seem to uh, think that rationality is cold and unfeeling and will lead to bad things. Uh, that feeling should be in charge because we want people to feel good things. Yep, <sighs> Look, we all I, like I to know, feel the fuzzies. I know firsthand how love can lead to tremendous amount of abuse and suffering Uh, and I'm fully ready to take this discussion with anyone because I truly firmly in my marrow believe that rationality is the only thing that will actually create happy people. I agree. Alrighty, thank you for listening to us and uh, please take a moment if you like listening to our lovely Dark Lord Christina Please consider going over to patreon.com forward slash the free speech podcast and donating one to five dollars or even more. It doesn't matter how small or little. And if we get a few more, a few more patrons, we might do a little extra just for you as well. But it really helps us and it will really help us do this into the future. And we'll be motivated, we'll up our production value and it will give us a lot of hope and we know it will allow us to do this and serve you for longer and do it better. So please, for yeah, now, if if you would like to see my moderately beautiful face on YouTube, then give me money so I can afford a camera. <laughs> Until then, uh, thanks for spending time with us, and please stick around a bit longer as we react to and seeing things on the internet. For now, we need to take a break. <laughs>
internet is a terrible place and it's filled with terrible people. But recently, the Suez Canal, the artery of capitalism, the shipping beating heart of the world economy was blocked up by a large container ship. It was thick. And when it got itself jammed in the Suez Canal, something like $8 billion of trade a day just stopped happening. Christina, does this give you faith in the global economy? Uh, I mean, no, because they will solve the issue and it will all go on as usual. But I was very amused by the, this uh, event, really, really amused by it. The, the, it really took off on the internet where you just like had meme lords going absolutely crazy. That this mm. massive ship, I just stopped everything. I'm- yeah, I know that people are talking that uh, some people thought that the captain did this on purpose because before uh, the ship got stuck in the canal, the ship had apparently drawn like a huge penis <laughs> on the water. And people saw that it's kind of like a middle finger to capitalism. I don't believe this to be the case. It doesn't look enough like a penis, but uh, it's nice to dream. It's on a serious note, it shows the absurdity of the system we've set up whereby as soon as you block off one of these main arteries, the entire system is a threat of collapse. It was lucky it was be, like pried loose in like six days or something. Like if it stayed there any longer, like the consequences were going to start seriously showing. Yeah. Oh no. All the wish orders people have made. Oh no. Horrible. And the thing is, it doesn't change the way these idiots think. For example, they can't just keep making bigger ships because they're going to get stuck more in things like this. They're just like, Let's build ever wider canals, ever bigger ships. And they have this constant growth mentality. But of course, the environment itself will not respond to these, con- you know, forever growth ideas. So Yeah, what- that's such a popular idea among right-wingers, especially. Like this endless economic growth. But it's the, at the expense of natural resources. And I just don't understand their thinking at all. But if you go and think about this logical response... If they forever want to widen, like, the Suez Canal, at what point, at the logical end point, at what point will the Suez Canal just be as wide as the Earth? Right. And, uh, yeah. (laughs) And look, even if you don't care about uh, seals dying, in which case that makes you a horrible person, but even if you don't, taking care of nature is taking care of ourselves. What's really fascinating to me is they always say, oh, capitalism and breeds innovation. How come... There's never any new ways of transporting things. There's never any creative solutions yeah. to these problems. There's just so this- much innovation. Just look at Wish. All the innovation, all the the Batman dildos and whatever have you. So much innovation, so much development. Very but, good. Mm-hmm. But what you People have in- say that capitalism breeds innovation are stupid and blind to the reality of the world. It it creates stupefied, lowest common denominator, just quantity over quality. Is this even an argument? I mean, come on. Yeah, but in this situation, literally, they've taken the old idea, which is putting things in a boat and moving them, and they've just decided to just make bigger the old idea. That's not innovation. Nope. 
And that's really what capitalism does deliver. The stuff we already had, but bigger. It's not yeah. new. It's not, it's not innovative. It's, it's fraudulent, effectively. Capitalism is a literal cancer upon the earth. It, it, it poisons the environment, it poisons the animal lives, and it poisons humanity. All right, next one. Hereditary peers, that being people that inherited from their parents via title in the House of Lords, have claimed over half a million pounds in public expenses for themselves during the COVID pandemic. Oh, lovely. Mm. Yeah. Are you familiar with the UK House of Lords? Mm. On a surface level, I don't know the details. Here's the deets. They, uh, they come, they're inherited titles that were given to them. God, it could be thousands of years ago. You know, lords and ladies and stuff, hence the House of Lords. But you can also be appointed a peer and they're usually appointed by, um, you know, political parties at the end of their tenure where they want to reward some of their mates. And it's like a permanent position. It's not an elected position. But the House of Lords is effectively like the UK's version of the US Senate. It can <laughs> veto legislation. It can get rid of laws it doesn't like. And they're well, there claiming public funds in a pandemic. Half a million. And that was only from whenever I spotted this. It's more than that might now. Because a few mo- a few weeks have gone by since I, I found this story. So it has been more since that they have claimed from the public purse for these unelected tyrants. That's terrifyingly backwards. It is. It should be absolutely abolished. Can you imagine the upper house in a modern country? In yeah, a democracy. I, 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 don't think the U- I don't think that the UK has any right to define itself as a modern country if, it, if it's doing this kind of Oh, I just imagine all the English people and the reaction to you saying that. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah, look, wow. English people, I like your tea. I like your biscuits. Everything else can go to hell. It would have the response. You ever heard that it's kind of like, you know, in America, they like make fun of backwards racist people as like rednecks. And mm-hmm. the English people who are like that, who are like proud of England and all, all its contradictions, they're called gammons. Mm. Do you know what? Because uh, they're, they're old and fat and when they get angry, their face goes the same color as gammon slices. Yeah, I, 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 I'm having a hard time grasping the... English mentality. Um, I actually watch a bit of uh, um, English television shows like QI and Taskmaster. And I love QI. Yeah, QI. Oh my god, we have watched. We have okay. Binge back on track. This. Back on track. Back on track. Yeah, just saying, loving it. Anyway, uh, that seems to be such an odds with this mentality. I, I don't know. England seems like a weird place to be. It's got I, a lot I, of I, I like a lot of stuff. things from like a lot, a lot. I like a lot of cultural, like music, good music, Radiohead, uh, Muse, mm, good bands. But the politics and the obsession with the Queen—it's a wee bit medieval. It's very strange that a country with that mentality can produce such good music. <laughs> Next one, a Twitter, yeah. a Twitter user called Tristan tweeted, yes, normalize therapy, but also make therapy affordable, if not free. Far too many people turn away from therapy because visits to a, with a therapist cost hundreds of thousands of dollars a visit. Mental mm-hmm. health care should not be a luxury item. Oh no, God, this, 
I feel so strongly about this. And look, even in, in Sweden, I would like to get on this. Uh, we have uh, the ability to get uh, free mental health care, but it's very, very difficult because there aren't enough therapists in proportion to the amount of, you know, people who feel really bad. <laughs> so you have to sort of make like a, a really good argument for why you deserve this. And even then it's very difficult. Uh, even in the, countries like the where in England or, or Britain or the NHS where you get free healthcare, it's still the fact that it's easier to get physical health care than mental health care. Mental health care is not considered of the same importance as yeah, standard like, health care. We are at a level where actually paying for, like paying good money for a therapist is easier, which, you know, it clearly isn't. I couldn't afford it. Um, and that is a very big issue. I feel very strongly about this. I think that countries should put a lot more effort into you know, creating uh, uh, opportunities for mental health care for everyone that needs it. Clearly, that's difficult, but Indeed, there aren't we've... enough funding to even try to do this. So we yeah. spent a lot of thought for our bodies, spent a little for our minds. Now, mm. a tweet by user Tom: I want to live in a world where a plumber can pursue his passion and get a PhD in medieval studies if he wants to in his free time at no insane cost, and have just yeah. as much financial security as his lawyer or doctor neighbour. Learning is a right. It shouldn't be reserved for the privileged, and it just so happens to be the first step to making a better world. Absolutely. I mean, in Sweden we have free education, but uh, uh, up to the limit, actually. I think... After a certain amount of university courses, you have to pay on that. I'm not certain about this, don't quote me on that, but there is some kind of soft limit on that. But yeah, I just, I couldn't agree more, uh, really. It brings out a value, which is not really often talked about, that not just as learning is a, set, as a part of social advancement, you can already have your career and be happy with that career. It's learning as a life enhancement. It's, yeah, I mean, why do you think I studied philosophy? <laughs> it's like known as the dead-end um, study, but I, I love it. And it, it has enriched my life without a doubt. And uh, learning for learning's sake, yeah, there is so much value in that. There is so much value in that. People should really have the freedom to do that. Indeed, it makes more rounded people and more interesting people to talk to. But the world currently yeah, and really, views... What is life about if it isn't about learning? Just seriously. Well, the, the people today think life is about earning money and that's all. And learning is simply a tool of which to generate money. Yeah, well, the people are wrong. Life is about <laughs> learning. I will not discuss this because I am right and you are wrong if you disagree. I like this one because there is a plumber in my town who in his spare time has got a bachelor's degree in vocals and opera singing and oh, that's he charming. occasionally fixes my lights that's so cute so yeah there was the terrible internet for you this week please join us again next week i'm niall and this is christina this was the free speech podcast and we'll see you again next saturday bye